You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em, fight, 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 go. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN.com. I cover the Vikings for them. I'm joined, as always, by Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN and joined by Judd Zulgad, who I think is very excited to be here today. I will just kick this thing off. Of course, the news coming down today that Norv Turner has resigned as the Vikings offensive coordinator. Pat Shermer, of course, takes over, moving from tight ends coach back to, I guess, his second team uh, in two years that have made him the well I guess he was the offensive coordinator there last year was the interim head coach in Philadelphia now of course is the interim offensive coordinator at least interim for now in Minnesota uh Judd I'm just going to turn this over to you I I know you've been uh predicting this day for a long time I think you've been maybe waiting for this day for a long time so I raced here sports Grinch the floor is yours I raced here from the station I talked about this for four hours and I couldn't get to Eden Prairie quick enough listen when you hire a guy in January who's been a head coach and offensive coordinator for five years in this league and you don't give him a title and you say, come into our building and help our offense, guess what that spells? The end for the current OC. Nor- the, o- the biggest mistake Mike Zimmer made didn't happen today. The glasses today. are off, folks. The biggest mistake that Zimmer made was not calling Norvin in January and saying, you know what, Norv, I appreciate it. It's been a great run. In fact, we're drinking, buddies, but you are no longer my coordinator. We are making a change. Loyalty got the best of Mike in January, but this change was inevitable. And by the way, resignation, when you show another human being the door and you say, we're either going to push you out that door or you can walk, lots of times they'll walk, and we can say he resigned. This is a firing, (laughs) a firing. That's all I have to say. You say it, yeah. You say it more definitively than maybe I would say it. I think there is still the possibility that Norv Turner just got frustrated with everybody kind of going against what he wanted to do, and they gave him his shot in the last two games to put his offense back in, and it did not work at all. And maybe there was a moment of just, you know what, this isn't working with the way that I want to do things, and now it's time to walk away. And it sure wasn't working. So, I mean, the other thing to come away with is maybe this wasn't inevitable that Shermer was going to be the OC, but that it's funny how some injuries and things like that have resulted in maybe a better quarterback. Maybe if Jarek McKinnon is healthy, a better running back situation. At one point, we thought maybe even a better tackle situation, although that hasn't played out. But I think this is a much better offensive coordinator situation now that Pat Shermer is in charge instead of North Turner. This was it was a surprise that it happened on a Wednesday in the middle of the season, yes. But a surprise that it happened at all, absolutely not. I mean, this was something that I, I just wrote a story about this on ESPN.com. This had been brewing for a while. I mean, this was something that as soon as after the 2014 season, Norv Turner's first in Minnesota, there were kind of seeds of this happening. Now, remember, Mike Zimmer hired Norv Turner to be his offensive coordinator because Mike Zimmer, of course, had not been a head coach before. Wanted somebody that could run the offense. Wanted somebody that had been a head coach in part because he knew what it took to be the CEO. After the first season, Mike Zimmer, of course, had to deal with Adrian Peterson's departure. He, suspension, I should say, not departure. He had to deal with the Chris Cluey disaster, scandal, whatever you want to call it. Kerfuffle. Kerfuffle, sure. Uh, 
uh, he had to deal with a change in the starting quarterbacks. He felt pretty confident at the end of the first season that he knew what to do. He also felt like, I want to learn more about offensive philosophy so that I can make a better evaluation of whether my offensive coordinator is cutting it or not. So he went to Hugh Jackson after the 2014 season. Hugh Jackson, of course, was a Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator, somebody that Mike Zimmer knew quite well. He said, I want you to teach me more about offensive philosophy so I can evaluate some of this stuff on my own. Fast forward to 2015, Mike Zimmer was more vocal about offensive game planning both in press conferences and I'm told on the headset during games he was not afraid to say I want to do this I think we should be running the ball more I, th I think that was a, a common uh, statement he would make and and he also was a guy that was was running interference at times or, or I guess being a courier I should probably say between Teddy Bridgewater and Norv Turner Mike Zimmer said this on the record last year Teddy Bridgewater would sometimes go to him and say I don't like this part of the game plan and then he would tell Zimmer that and Zimmer would tell the Turners okay I think we, we need to do something different so he was having to run messages between those two guys Adrian Peterson wasn't happy about some things Mike Wallace wasn't happy about some things I there were enough indications last season that this was not a marriage made in paradise anymore that when they hired Pat Shermer and when they hired Tony Sperano who, by the way, they hired over Pat Flaherty, a former assistant coach of Norv Turner's, it was very clear that Mike Zimmer was becoming more hands-on with the offense and more comfortable taking it in the direction that he wanted to go, which was not always necessarily going to be the direction Norv Turner wanted to go. The fact that this happened I don't think is a big surprise. The fact that it happened now, certainly the timing is uh, – is striking but publicly uh, yeah. publicly i think this was uh bound to happen the, the first real sense the cardinal game last year yes when, when when norv called the slow developing play and bridgewater came out and said that's not a great play call and then zimmer the next day said yeah like it's it. not and then norv got defiant and said no it's fine um when they hired Shermer and sperano and keep in mind too they hired Shermer with no title they basically yes. said in fact, Shermer was up for the Rams passing, passing game, game coordinator, coordinator job, yes. a coordinator job. So, Which he passed up to be a tight that, ends coach here? That Come was on. exactly. So that was step two. But this thing was put on steroids when Bridgewater went down. Because who's the guy? The whole Bradford thing revolved around one guy, right? Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer. What can he do? Pat Shermer, do this, do that. And I think what we saw was for, for games two through five, Bradford ran Shermer's offense because – Bradford had to run a, an offense he knew, and then for whatever reason during the bye week, Norv got to be in his bonnet on the self-scout to be like, no, let's do this and that. So this was going to happen, and the timing happens now because you can't have Sam Bradford, Matthew, dropping back, and you can't get him killed. If you get him killed, you're done. Your season's over. Well, the most interesting part of it is you said, for whatever reason, that they decided to go back to some of his offensive philosophy. If I'm Norv Turner, number one thing that I want for my offense is to be good and to win, right? I yes. mean, these these coaches are always thinking about their legacy and how everything looks in the media and whatever else. And, I mean, wouldn't everyone be calling, even if it was Pat Shermer behind the scenes, wouldn't everyone be calling him a genius? Look at how well he adjusted. Look at the, this brilliant coaching staff under Mike Zimmer, and they got Sam Bradford to be the best of his career career how amazing and magical is this right that would have been the narrative and instead we're sitting here you know talking about him being well not fired but him resigning walking out the door because he couldn't make it work and here's the thing you go back and look at the self-scout against the Giants and against the Texans it wasn't just one aberration against the Texans it was the Giants game too one of the first plays of that game is a pass to Cordero Patterson, a quick screen that goes for 21 yep. yards. I mean, to me, that's the weird thing. It does, was an RPO, too, right, I think. Right, I think it was, yeah. Does, At least it was designed to look like one. Does ego get in the way here for Norv Turner because it was clear what was working, and instead he wanted it his way even if it wasn't going to work. And I, I would say this, too. Zimmer might be, might be the guy who got frustrated, but don't sell Spielman short either. Because yes. Rick Spielman, listen. This offensive line is hemorrhaging. This this offensive line's a mess. And Matthew's 1,000% right. You started to see signs of there's trouble here, so keep up what you're doing. They didn't. The other X factor in a big way to me, Cordell Patterson. Cordell Patterson, yep. Norv decided Cordell can't run a route, so he's, I'm done with this guy. This guy's got talent. 
Then Shermer comes here, Bradford comes here, and all of a sudden it's like, no, we can use him. He gets used. Monday night, he disappears. So I would not be surprised if the GM and head coach said, Norv, sit down and listen. Here's what we want. And Norv finally just said, sorry. Well, Norv Turner says today to ESPN's Ed Werder this morning, I think it came down to the fact that, I think the quote was that we have different philosophies of where the offense is going or the offense was we had different ideas about which direction the offense was going. And that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, the the thing that I have always, and I've said this before, that the thing I respect the most probably about Mike Zimmer is the fact that, yes, he's known for a defense. Yes, he's known for a scheme. There are certain things that are associated with Mike Zimmer to the point where Peyton Manning said last year, you see teams running what he refers to as the Zimmer defense. People associate the double-A gap blitz and, and some of the things that the Vikings do with Mike Zimmer. He's known for that. That's his brand. But if they have to change, I don't think he is opposed to doing that. And I think a lot of that comes from, we've talked about it, from what he learned from his dad. Norv Turner, on the other hand, has had a lot of success doing things one way for a very long time. And you heard it last year when he got asked about that play call with Bridgewater in, in Arizona. He said it's a good play. There's no reason to check out of it. And I think there's a lot of things where, yes, he's changed. I mean, yes, they do more shotgun stuff, more run-pass option stuff. He, he's at least been willing to let some of these other ideas come into his playbook, but he probably is not the one pushing those ideas forward. He is probably the one that's saying, okay, fine, let's do it. But I don't think he is the one driving a lot of these ideas forward. And I think that ultimately, especially when – you have personnel going down like they have. You have to be able to adapt quickly, and I think Mike Zimmer has shown that if you don't adapt quickly, I don't have a ton of patience for it. Yeah, the part, the Mike Zimmer part of this is interesting to me because on the defensive side of the ball, what do we always talk about with him? That guys who are one-dimensional or do one thing really well, he finds ways to yes. use them. That if you play Daniil Hunter on every single play or Tom Johnson on every single play, they might get you in trouble. But instead, they're situational players who really succeed in those roles. And, yes. and you see that all over the field. What is Harrison Smith's strengths? They use him to every single one of them. Sendejo's strengths, he's turned into a halfway decent player, as we kind of discovered even more the other night. And, and that's on the defensive side of the ball. It's always use guys to what they do best. And then uh, if you're watching on that offense and they're all of a sudden finding Cordero Patterson in what he does best and then going away from that right. for two straight weeks, if you're Zimmer, you've got to be saying, this just doesn't match up with what I believe in for football. I mean, two weeks is one thing, but they inherited Cordero Patterson. This staff inherited Cordero Patterson after a year where it looked like this guy can light the league on fire. And Bill Musgrave was the guy that, that reluctantly, I think, after a while said, okay, we're going to use him. I, I think they're – I mean, even that coaching staff alluded to the fact that, okay, he's not picking things up as quick as you like. He may not be as hard of a worker as you would want right off the bat. But they found a way to turn the guy into a, a, a dynamite weapon. Mm -hmm. And he comes in here, and I remember that February at the Combine – Mike Zimmer saying Norv's already diagrammed 10 or 15 plays for Cordero, and you saw a few of those early, but then it was, what did we hear? Well, he's not able to get the job done as a traditional receiver, so we're just going to not use him in the offense. Okay, I, I understand the frustration with that. I, I, I get that there were issues with Cordero in the offense, and I think there are times where if you put him on the field and he's going to do one thing, everybody knows what that one thing is going to be. But when you have a guy with that skill set, to be able to put him on the field every once in a while, I, I, it just – it seems like there would have been some way to, to make it work there. And, you know, you see that a lot with their personnel, too, where, like, they have not used a four-receiver set more than, I think, two snaps in the entire time that this coaching staff has been here. I'm going to be curious to see if that changes. I'm going to be curious to see if they do a little bit more to work to their personnel rather than trying to make their personnel fit their scheme because what did we always complain about with Brad Childress? It was that. It yeah. was this is my scheme and you have to fit in it. And I think – that could be one of the things that changes now. The word of caution here to me is, th is this, though. This does not fix the line. No, it does not. This now, That line is a mess. Your tackles are a complete mess. This might give you or this does give Bradford, in my opinion, a better chance to stay healthy and do what he does well. But there's another topic here, which is that line, what they do now there. And can they get those guys to be not good, functional? That's the key. They look, in my mind, Zimmer and Spielman look at this offense, and they don't say, you know, Pat, 
we need you to run a great offense. 40 points a game. All they're saying is be functional. Mm -hmm. Your offensive line is not functional. So the the interesting dynamic to me is you've got a coaching staff and a GM saying we've got a really special defense. Didn't play well against Chicago, but they're really good. Can we get the offense back to functional? And what still scares me and – Norv or no Norv, your problem is, can you get those tackles to block anybody and Fusco at right guard? There is a thing I saw on film that made me think um, it could have been a key battleground, if you will, since it's election season. A key battleground in Norv Turner's departure, which is how to handle those tackles, how to solve that problem. Because there's really two philosophies for doing it. One, you either bring in a bunch of more guys to help block, which would be an extra tight end or running back staying home, or you get the ball out super quick. Those are the only two ways about it. Last year, the Patriots' offensive line fell apart. They threw it faster than anybody else in the league when they had a bunch of injuries. That seems to be how Pat Shermer would solve it. But Norv Turner, and I saw it on film, there was one time where it's seven on four. Seven people to yeah. block four. And what does that mean? That means that they've got everybody. They've got seven to cover three. How are you supposed to find anybody open down the field when it's seven defenders to cover three guys? Well, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, and I, I talked about it with Matt Bowen yesterday, that when you are giving up pressure with four rushers, that is the ultimate NFL bind. If there is a team that can get to you with four guys and play seven in coverage, it's really hard to have any success. That said, if you're running two or three man passing routes against seven in coverage, it's going to be even harder. So, I, yes, I think that I've been of the belief, and, and Matthew, you and I have talked about it in some of the midweek podcasts here in, in recent weeks. I've been of the belief that Sam Bradford is one of the best things the Vikings have going for them in protecting Sam Bradford in the sense that he gets rid of the ball quickly enough that you don't have to sit there and block forever. So it will be interesting to see if they get back to some of that. I do think that they have seen defenses take away some of those screens to Cordero Patterson, some of the things that they're trying to do off run pass options. But there still have to be ways to to work around that, and I think they'll be probably a little more amenable to finding some of those things, I would assume. Now, if we're going to figure this problem out, we can go deep down the coaching trees and look at who Shermer has worked with, and one of them being Chip Kelly and how they might solve it, and also Andy Reid, too, and look at who Andy Reid's quarterback is. It's Alex Smith, and he's got a ton out of Alex Smith on quick passes that include one read, right? It's either don't make a mistake and just throw it back to your quarter or to your running it's back out of the backfield, right? You're talking and, pure West Coast, and I think. And last year we saw a lot of that with two running backs in, which could mean Adrian Peterson and Jarek McKinnon at some point. Two running backs in the backfield, and those are two options if your pass protection breaks down or one of them blocks, the other one goes for the check down. I think we'll end up seeing a lot of that. That's how this problem gets solved. However, this is not just your regular. Well, the offensive line isn't good. Problem. Yep. This is like a nuclear issue like the sound the alarms with how tj clemmings played the other night yeah i mean i think jake long has been very very poor but tj clemmings has been as bad as i have ever seen a tackle play and watching the film back it was even worse than i thought why didn't he come out at at halftime i don't know because that that one is there had to be dissension about that right there's no way that coaching staff as a whole looked at tj clemmings was unplayable mm-hmm. on Monday night. And you saw that by halftime, right, Ben? Yes. So you're not so no there doubt. is there is no way that entire coaching staff, the guys from upstairs came downstairs and said, let's just keep this up. Somebody said no, we're playing him. And that person deserves to take a lot of heat. That that was irresponsible to Sam Bradford, the Vikings LLC and first and foremost, T.J. Clemmings. I was texting with somebody at halftime, a league source, and that was asking, like, he's got to come out of the game, right? And the Clemmings has to come out of the game. I said, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, in the words of Mike Zimmer, I don't know. We'll see. And they, and they kept him in, and it didn't get any better. It, it, yeah, it just it feels like I didn't think Jeremiah Searles had been that bad. I, I thought he'd actually played pretty well. And for them not to put him in, I thought was was surprising. And, and Mike Zimmer – did not exactly close the door on that switch being made this week. We'll see what happens at that position. But uh, that is whoever is calling plays. 
that is going to be job one, trying to figure out a way to work with that line. Well, you're totally right about that. The way that Clemming's played, and really has been the last three weeks, has been mostly because of good edge rushers just crushing him. I mean, Brandon Graham took him to task, and so did Pernell McPhee last week, uh, or or this Monday. And, you know, is there a tackle out there who's backing up for the Browns who could just play at a below average league level. I mean, they you can't get them now. I we mean, talked about that, a Sunday what, night well, or Monday night. Like if they were going to make a move, that would have been the thing, right? right. I, yeah. I'm referring to the fact that they didn't get anyone yes. at the trade deadline. And to me, I mean, is there anyone on somebody else's practice squad? Yeah. I mean, we are at the point where it is the lowest level of play, pro football focus, or just if you watch the game yourself at home, it is the lowest level of play. My dog broke down that film and I, I said T.J. Clemming there, stunk. There is a play. I mean, T.J. Clemmings must weigh 325 pounds or more. There is a play where Pernell McPhee takes two steps and just puts his hands on Clemmings and he falls backwards like he was hit by a bus, and then he just nails Sam Bradford. And it's just unacceptable play that, I mean, can Willie Beavers do that? I mean, any, Shepard. anybody and would play at that level. And we're, we're not talking about the fact that you also right now can't run the ball. Yes. And by the way, for all of you that say Adrian's going to come back and save the day and Asiata and Jarek aren't good, go back to 2014. Asiata and McKinnon formed a fine duo. And for 1,100 yards. They can't run the ball because they're not blocking for them. Now, what I would what I would encourage, at least on Sunday, is it's not ideal, but hold tight ends in at times to help the tackles. And instead of having to hand the ball off, have Bradford drop back a couple steps and dump it off to McKinnon because that's just like a run. At least that's a good short-term start to get something established. You've got to Make get him something. Make your Darren Sproles. Yes, you've got to at least take a step in one game to establish that you can go forward again because right now they can't go forward. They have a lot of guys, and, and Jarek McKinnon needs to get healthy before they put him in. He indicated today that he seemed optimistic about playing Sunday, but they have a lot of guys getting the ball that do not have game-changing athleticism. They, I mean, they can get it to, t- to Stephon Diggs. But on offense right now, you have like three guys that I would say meet that classification. Stephon Diggs, Cordero Patterson, Jarek McKinnon, having that kind of speed to be able to do it. And they are not playing in a way that really maxima- maximizes two of those three, I would say. Sorry, to your point on the running game, too, is that Clemmings has been every bit as bad in the running game as he has the pass. It's just more noticeable in the pass. Ronnie Hillman, I thought actually Ronnie Hillman made a couple of plays the other night, and I was kind of confused why Asiata continued to get the ball, even though Hillman had a six-yard run, he made a catch out of the backfield and showed a little bit of speed. And Hillman made some big runs last year as a member of the Broncos with a much better offensive line, albeit. But there's a play where Hillman gets the ball, maybe it's a one-yard carry, two-yard carry, and Clemmings is just thrown to the side, and then Hillman is tackled. And if he's not tackled there, if, if Clemmings just does his job, he's probably getting six, seven yards around the end. And instead, he's just thrown aside. So not only is he putting all this pressure on your quarterback because he's getting worked by edge rushers, but you can't even, well, okay, the pass isn't working today. Let's rely a little bit on the run. You can't even do that either with him in there. Andy Carlson here for the Purple for the Wind podcast, dedicated to the pain and pleasure that is the Minnesota Vikings and baby. 1,500 ESPN has seen it fit to bring us into the sphere this year, so we'll be doing three shows a week, talking Vikings, have a car wash of fantastic guests, talk at length about the backup tight end situation. And remember, everyone's middle name is Jerome. It's going to be a lot of fun or terrible. It'll be one of the two. Get it on the 1500 and Podcast One app or on iTunes or at purplefTW.com. Let's go. I would like to shift gears to the long-term effects of this, and I would very much like to hear from the sports Grinch. He's wearing a green coat today. It's not quite like Grinchy green. Eagles but green, perhaps. It is, huh? is kind of Eagles E-A-G-L-E-S, green. E-A-G-L-E-S, go Eagles, <laughs> to quote Mike Tice. Uh, the long-term effects of this is very simple to me. Um, Mackie and I were talking three weeks ago about what this means. Bradford's play, which was outstanding in his first four starts, because he, he signed a two-year, $35 million contract, I believe, in March with, with yep. Philadelphia. Something so, like that. So there were logical questions about the Vikings' plan. And at that time, Phil and I said, listen, this guy's playing so well. He's, what, 28 going on 29, I believe, next Tuesday that it makes sense to consider committing to him long-term. I think 
when Nora went through the revolving door today and walked out for the last time and waved goodbye, I think that we saw that Sam Bradford's spot and a long-term contract for him is going to happen. This is, and the Bridgewater story, I'm not joking, is sad, okay? The guy's knee basically blew up, so this is not funny. Right. Uh, but there's been a lot of speculation about can he come back. Zimmer loves him. If he can come back, should they go back to him? I believe that the interim tag will be taken off Shermer very soon and that long-term now the Vikings will look to lock Bradford up and that this offense, providing it can be productive, going forward will be Bradford and Shermer and that Teddy, if he does play again, it won't be here and that you have now seen them saying, okay, we're committing to this tandem. And this was not, in my opinion, a situation where Norv's offense sort of worked and then it didn't. This was a situation where we saw... Sam Bradford running Shermer's offense through week five. Things changed after that, but they are going to go back now to Shermer and Bradford, and that is the future, and I do believe after this season that Bradford will sign a long-term contract here. We, we talk about the strengths and weaknesses of players and using them correctly and dropping back deep and having to go through your progressions has never really been a Sam Bradford thing anyway. I mean, that's one of the things I think the Eagles said after that game was, well, we know that he usually makes his lead, read at the line of scrimmage and then goes there, and he isn't Aaron Rodgers that can drop back buy time, move himself around, find that guy after four seconds in the pocket. He's not that guy because he doesn't move all that well. He's a guy that's got to make that read at the line of scrimmage, then make a quick, accurate pass. Pat Shermer would know that from being with him for so long. He knows all of his strengths, all of his weaknesses. And to me, it wasn't just that the game plan was getting him killed. It also wasn't playing to what he does best. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I I will be very curious to see how this does evolve from here because I agree with Judd, uh, who had to step out, I think, to do another radio interview here. So hopefully we'll we'll get him back because I I think he had some things uh, on his mind about the future for Adrian Peterson as well that I would be very curious to hear. If we don't hear those today, we will uh, get those to you in a future podcast. So make sure you stay tuned for that, whether it's later in this episode or later uh, in our installment of – episodes to come in the, in the future days and weeks here we we never know what's coming on the on the purple podcast we keep you on your toes but uh yeah i will be curious to see how this evolves because i think that there are certain guys that stand to benefit from this like Jarek mckinnon probably sam bradford uh certainly cordero patterson there are probably guys that could be marginalized from this i, I think there are guys that you will see different roles come in now and and they've talked about we can't change our offense a whole lot in the middle of the season but uh, we probably saw hints of what they would do with Pat Shermer in in previous weeks and uh, I think we'll probably see them go in that direction a little bit more yeah uh, you can go right back to what was working before which to me was all Shermer's style offense and what he wants to do there's another guy that you know we've sort of bumped into conversation as we've gone along that's become more conversation I think from some national people who follow the draft than us here in Minnesota especially when the team is 5-0 and it's like well everything's pretty much right then if you're 5-0 and but Laquan Treadwell and I have got to wonder if Charles Johnson is done and Laquan Treadwell is going to get some playing time because Laquan Treadwell is not a fast guy. Right. He ran like a 4.6. I mean, he's not one of those speed burners. Nope. But if he's got one skill that they drafted him for, it's being big and it's going up and getting it. Yep. And Charles Johnson has brought zero to this offense this year. I think there were two catches against the Giants. Yep. End for his entire contribution this year, and he's been on the field for a huge number of plays for a guy that never gets the ball. If you're the opponent, you're like, well, we don't have to game plan for that guy, and then he's dropped a couple of deep balls. He hasn't looked on the same page with Sean Hill from day one or with Sam Bradford. It might be time, and and we'll see if this is one of their changes to give the first-round pick a try, even if it's not perfect, because with Cordero, it's not perfect, but you find a way. And with Laquan, Hey, you know what's been one of the worst parts of this offense under North Turner forever? Red zone. You got it. It might be time to use yep. Laquan Treadwell in the red zone. Yeah, I I will be very curious to see if that evolves into something different than it's been because we've seen that with North Turner where it's that thing of, well, this receiver isn't quite where I want him yet, so we're just not going to use him. And I'm like, well, maybe, but maybe there's a limited role that can work for this guy. I mean, it seems like... Sometimes it's sort of 
you know, binary with with the way they've used receivers. It's either you're in there all the time or you're not in there at all. It's like I would think you could find something for 8, 10, 12 snaps, whatever it would happen to be. Certainly in red zone situations, I think it makes sense to see if he can do it. Now, if some of the, the techniques and, and route running things are not there, then, then maybe it's still a work in progress. But, yeah, I'll be curious to see that one. I will also be curious, like you, to see what happens with Charles Johnson because, remember, Charles Johnson got here because of his relationship with Norv Turner and I, Scott Turner as well. Scott Turner was the, the Browns wide receiver coach when Charles Johnson was there. They had him basically when he was rehabbing from the knee injury he sustained at Green Bay. So they, they didn't use him a ton, but he had at least played in that offense. And I think that certainly was the driving force in him coming in here was – that when they needed a receiver, because Jerome Simpson got arrested again and they didn't know about it and they had to get rid of him after several of us reported that he'd been arrested, they went out and got Charles Johnson. And uh, you know, certainly was a guy the first half of, or the second half, I guess, of 2014 that looked like he, okay, he could click with Teddy Bridgewater. In the preseason, it looked like he could, could, could click with Teddy Bridgewater. But Teddy Bridgewater ain't here. Norv Turner ain't here. And uh, it it could be a situation where the, the foundation has shifted enough that, that he's not a big part of it anymore. It uh, kind of reminds me of the T.J. Clemmings conversation. Is, is is there somebody better there? Because you're getting the absolute lowest play. Yeah. Like to make baseball comparisons, you're getting a guy hitting 175. You're getting replacement level or so, worse. Is there a triple-A player who can hit 220? Because that's yeah. an improvement for yeah. our team. And I would say the same thing for Clemmings as I would say for Johnson. You are getting a 175 hitter, and even if Laquan Treadwell isn't perfect, he could if he hits 230, or, you know, I mean, if he's just somewhat effective in any situation, then that's better than what you're getting right now. I think, if anything, this was the right week for all of this to happen. I have called up on my cellular device the defensive rankings for the uh, Detroit Lions. Yes. 21st in points per game, 23rd in total defense, 19th in passing defense, 32nd in third down defense, 31st in red zone efficiency, and 24th in takeaways. This was the right time for all this to go down. So there are some plays to be made, in other words, what you're saying. I am indeed saying that, yes, yes that the – Detroit defense made Brock Osweiler look pretty decent. Right. And that should tell you everything you need to know. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think this is probably a good moment to kind of pivot to a little bit of talk about the Motor City Kitties who come to town on Sunday for a noon tilt with the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium. The the first of two times we will see the Lions in the next three weeks. And I know we're all very excited about that. Not really. The Lions just kind of bore me. What an odd schedule, right? Yeah. It's just... I mean, that you see that every once in a while. I think there was a couple of years ago where you know, the Vikings played, I think they had the Bears twice in three weeks or something like that. It's yeah, it was in 2012. Choice. I think it was my first year on the beat. It went Bears, Packers, Bears, and then they had the Packers again at the end of the season a couple of weeks after that. But, yeah, it was kind of an odd set of circumstances there. But, uh, yeah, the Lions come to town. What do we think we're going to see from the Lions and – how much of the Vikings' struggles on Monday night to stop the Bears are things we should be concerned with in the future? Okay, there was really good news today from practice, which is Andrew Sandejo appears to be back. Yes, that and is very – for all the people that, that uh, are not enamored of Andrew Sandejo, and I certainly have not been somebody that thinks he's a great solution, you do see – uh, how much you miss a competent starter when he's out. Yeah, I like I am now. <laughs> I yes. mean, after what yes. happened the other night, I mean, one of the first plays from scrimmage, maybe it was second down when Jordan Howard breaks out for 69 yards, and it's, you know, J. Ron Curse taking the wrong angle. Curse looked really bad against the Eagles, too, where he was biting on play fakes, and you just saw a big play coming with him in there. So if Sandejo's back, you kind of have your – entire defense solidified again but I think there should be there should be a little bit of worry in the fact that they have not pressured the passers the last couple of weeks uh Carson Wentz had a lot of mistakes in that game but he wasn't hit very much and that had been one of the big things over the first few weeks even Eli Manning was pressured though he had gotten the ball out fairly quickly too and they'll probably look to that game 
the uh, Giants game and how well they performed against Manning for how they will take on the Detroit Lions because the Lions love the short passes. They love the screens. They love the high completion percentage. And the numbers for Matt Stafford going back to when Jim Bob Cooter was brought in yep. uh, are really incredible. Yeah, he's turned about, it around I mean, in it's, a big it's, way. It's been amazing. And, and the biggest thing is limiting the number of times that Matt Stafford has to go down the field. Stafford wanted nothing to do with talking about not having Megatron anymore right. uh, on his conference call today. In fact, he wanted nothing to do with everything that was asked of him. But that was one of the things that he just completely blew off that question. And, you know, I never thought that it was him that was the problem. A Hall of Fame wide receiver is not the issue. It's how you're using the offense and going back to those short passes, I think, has been the key for them. So it's it's almost like Sam Bradford and what he's gone through the last two weeks mirrors a little bit of what Matt Stafford went through with the previous coaching staff of yep. wanting him to work the ball down the field, and that's just really not his strength. So now it comes down to screen passes have been the one semi-Achilles heel I won't say completely, but yeah. I think have been the most effective plays against the Vikings defense all year. Yeah, they have. And we saw it against the Giants, and we've, we've seen it a couple of the times. Certainly the other night we saw it a couple times as well. The Vikings have typically been pretty good against those in the past, and, and you wonder how much of that is are just mistakes on the spot and how much of it is an underlying issue. Because I, I thought against Houston they were really pretty good against those when Houston tried to run him with Lamar Miller. I thought Eric Kendricks did a great job that day shutting a couple of those down. And, and really they were able to do a pretty good job against those last year too. I remember that game against the Bears at Soldier Field last year. The Bears ran a bunch of those. And the Vikings eventually were able to adjust to it and, and snuff them all out in large part because they have linebackers that can run and diagnose things pretty sharply. So, I mean, you saw some of that bite them in the – in uh, in the Bears game and, and also against the Giants earlier this year. We're certainly going to see it with Theo Reddick on Sunday. The Lions will run some of those. But, you know, a lot of it, I think, on defense was, I, you know, not to not to ape Christian Ponder too much here, but I think a lot of it was things that were correctable. I, I, a lot of it was tackling. A lot of it was you know, guys being in the wrong spot. Certainly J. Ron Kerr's taking a bad angle on that big play that we're probably not talking about if, Andrew Sandejo is in the game or if or Jaron Curse takes a better angle. A lot of that stuff, I mean, yeah, you don't like to see it, but I don't think those are things that are deep seated issues with the way this team plays defense. I think it's they had an off night and they made some mistakes and if they can get those cleaned up, they should be back to what they've been doing. I would expect that too, although I mean Kendrick's you're right, was really good against Houston. Yep. Anthony Barr, though, this year has not been to the level that I expected him to be. Did not have a good night Monday. Yeah, that was, I mean, otherwise, any other mistakes or whatever else were pretty much covered up by just them being all over whoever the quarterback was on any given night. But he really did not have a very good game against Chicago, and that kind of surprised me a little bit because he's supposed to be that solid all-around player who you can rely on pretty much from week to week, and... Uh, I was taken aback by the fact that he seemed to have such a poor game. So he might be a guy, and I think he will be a guy, that's really relied upon to have a great game against Detroit if they're going to shut down Matt Stafford. Well, and the other thing that they did so well against Detroit in the two games last year was get to Matthew Stafford. They sacked him, I think, I think it was just one sack in the first game, but they beat him up. They hit him a lot to the point where the Lions were accusing them of being dirty, and I think that charge got toss out the window fairly quickly but in the second game I think they sacked him seven times I mean they sacked him eight times in those two games and after the second one he had to go get x-rays on his ribs because he was so beat up I you know this Lions line has probably gotten a little better than it was previously and and maybe things are are happening a little bit quicker now that you're not looking downfield for Calvin Johnson quite as much but they have been able to get pressure on Matt Stafford in recent games against this team, and you want to see them get back to that because you're right. They have not done a great job the last two weeks of putting pressure on quarterbacks, and that's something they had done as well as any team in the league early this year, and that is a big part of this defense. Now, a lot of it is being able to stop the run more effectively than they did Monday night so that you're in second and eight, third and seven type situations rather than having to worry about the run as much as they've had to do it. But 
you do want to see them get back to being able to put some heat on the quarterback. And, and playing at home, I think they'll start to get back to more of that. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's exactly where I was going to go with is the run. I mean, it, what a what a shocker. I mean, in terms of predicting sports, that, yeah. that goes under the, wow, life is weird sometimes because I did not expect to see them give up 153 yards against Jordan Howard. I no, mean, that, I didn't that, either. That was total he's a good running back, but that was totally totally stunning and I would guess that that gets resolved this week. All right, the Sports Grinch is back. He's off the phone. He's, Iowa Radio, it's very important. Iowa Radio Big is blow very important. station, 50,000 watts all over Iowa. We got to know where we stand in the pecking order, but I would like to hear from Let's you. You mentioned it before, I think when we were talking earlier this afternoon. I want to hear, and I think our, our, our listeners certainly want to hear, how one of your pet issues, Pat Shermer, relates to another one, Adrian Peterson. What does this mean for Adrian Peterson's future? Okay, first of all, I told you this. I don't know exactly. Second of all, if you ask me to completely guess, I don't think it's necessarily good. because I just I, want you to get grinchy. Okay, okay, but here's, okay, here's where there's room for interpretation. Pat Schirmer is going to essentially run a West Coast offense. Adrian Peterson very much played in that system with yes, Childress did. and Bevel. That's true. All of that being said, here's the conundrum and, and the curveball to me. He's going, Peterson, if and when he comes back, is going to come back to an offense that also needs the running backs to do what? Block and catch the ball. Yep. He's not good at those things. So I think ultimately... I think if this was the Vikings offensive line circa 2007 and Peterson came back, he's in very good shape. In 2016, given what guys are going to have to do, it presents an issue. It's not that he can't run the ball, but if you were going to go to quick dump-off passes and ask guys to block, Adrian Peterson's not the guy. So yeah. it's very interesting to me. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, if we will see them, and probably not this year, but will we see them go back to more zone blocking stuff on the line? I mean, that was, you know, that certainly would be is something Sperano's, Adrian Peterson has is, played well. Is Sperano's system not working, or is this thing such a mess personnel-wise that, that uh, Sperano's system could can't work? And, by the way, somebody needs to fly to San Diego ASAP, go to Jeff Davidson's house, and issue a big-time mea culpa because you fired the wrong guy. Um, I think you should have fired I, instead the oh, offensive no, no, no. coordinator. I'm just saying you, you saying? made him the scapegoat for the fact sure. that, that for years sure. and years you hadn't properly in higher rounds addressed these positions. Personnel. I mean, I think it's personnel on this. Well, that, mean, comes that, back a, to, that comes back that, to a guy named Rick Spielman. Then. That is a, uh, that, 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 that's a, a blazing take, but I think in this case – that it's just that the players are not that good. I mean, I think at, at but they times, haven't invested high picks online. No, that no, that is very true. No, that's very true. And, Although and, the one and they did, I meant when you were talking about Tony Sperano, uh, when you're talking about Rick Spielman and, and filling out this roster, even when they were completely healthy with Matt Khalil and Andre Smith, it was still really bad. Yeah. it was still in really rough shape. So I totally and Smith was not a good signing necessarily. No, and, no, and, and, I'm, and I'm not blaming Sperano. What I'm saying is. You made a coaching change. Oh, I see, yes. You assume the schematic change would make it all better, and now you, you got a guy who's the offensive line coach in San Diego saying, ah, it wasn't my fault, and yeah. he's probably right. I, yeah. No, okay. Now that, so, yeah, now, no, my, my blazing take is not about the coaches. My blazing take is the blame was probably placed on the wrong person when it belonged to the front office yeah. and Rick Spielman for failing to address, you know, through for years and years now, because the Vikings, to me, guys, this comes down to the same exact philosophy that pre-Zimmer, Spielman, and Childress used with cornerbacks. Well, yeah, we can find them in the third round on. Now, that's fine to get depth there, but they're, they're, I'm dead serious. Marcus McCauley, Asher Allen, Robinson, Robinson were all guys where they said, oh. we can fill in. And eventually, somebody, Jefferson. and eventually they said, no, 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 that's a bad idea. The fact that Khalil is your only first-round pick for years and years – to me, that's a personnel problem, and that's a judgment problem because I can find you running backs and receivers in the later rounds. But top-end offensive linemen, I don't think so. Not look at, regularly. Look at the Cowboys. I mean, they have, they've invested, I mean, maybe not first-round picks every year, but it's been second day of the draft. And how about, and how about the fact that Jerry Jones, a couple of years ago, told, told everybody, Johnny Manziel's there, draft him. And Steven Jones, their personnel guy, and his kid said, no, Dad. Yeah. We're taking an offensive lineman. And by the way, that proved to be a fantastic decision. Yeah, absolutely it did. I mean, they, they really have uh, 
It, it's odd to look at the Cowboys and say, boy, that's a really well-run franchise. I'm fired up now. It's <laughs> uh, on purpose. I don't like Well, it. now that they have Dak Prescott and the best offensive line, you in Ezekiel Elliott's a star, they're looking yeah. a lot smarter these days than they did before. But uh, to your guys' point, I also think that a big part of what the Vikings have done in terms of success is they've found some players that weren't necessarily stars and were able to get them in and, and doing what they're good at. And, you know, I mean, Adam Thielen's an undrafted guy, and – He's made some big plays and at times. Digs a fifth-round pick. Yeah, right, exactly. You can find so, those guys at those positions. That's that my point. It has not happened on the offensive line where, okay, Joe Berger, yes, he has been their best offensive lineman, and I think he's played fine most of the season. But at the other positions, I mean, just not drafting him in the first round is a big thing. But if you don't draft him, maybe you don't draft Xavier Rhodes or something like that, right? I mean, you're just sort of uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul in some ways. But I think that there are linemen out there who are capable, Mm -hmm. who are not on your roster that could have been, that you missed on, and keeping T.J. Clemmings as an NFL player, much less playing him over whoever is on the practice squad or whoever is on everyone else's practice squad in the whole world is really, now that to me is a failure. Especially the later in the year that you get. I mean, yes, the cap room is very limited. It's like 615000 at least that's what it was at the beginning of the week, and there probably be a little bit of fluctuation in that. The later in the week, the later in the year that you get, and the more these contracts are prorated, you can you can find somebody to fit under that. I mean, it's not going to be an expensive player. It wasn't going to be Joe Thomas, but you can probably find an option to try out there at some point. So it'll be interesting to see if they do that at some point here. Well, and we talked about Blair Walsh, right? When he missed a couple of kicks, yep. and Mike Zimmer's answer when we said, "Hey, Mike, you going to bring in some kickers?" Not, not yet. yet. I don't see a bunch of tackles coming and going, being trying out right. uh, every single day. Right. Now, I'm sure some do, and we never hear about it or never find out. But for the most part, you find out who's visiting and well, things like that. Well, we found out about the one, and they right. signed him. <laughs> right, exactly. And to me, it should be a parade of tackles. Any guy in the uh, Minneapolis area who weighs more than 300 pounds come play tackle. Like that movie with the Eagles, uh, with the wide receiver there. Invincible? Uh, with Mark yeah. Wahlberg? Wahlberg, what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. That's a true story. Hey, it? it is. I like the guy a lot, so this pains me to say, but what's happened to Brandon Fusco, too? Yeah, I, boy. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the center holds up. The The left guard struggled early, I think, with scheme, but I think he's fine. I, he's not great, but he's fine. Yeah. But do either of you guys have an explanation for Brandon Fusco, who, by the way, was a productive right guard, got moved to left guard to supposedly help Matt Khalil, struggled there, got moved back to right guard, and has still never been the same? I don't have an explanation for that, but I agree that it's a concern, and it is interesting because Alex Boone, when he's played his best in the NFL, was also a right guard, and they moved him to the left side in San Francisco. wasn't very good. Pro- you know, At some point, does he move back, and do they get a left guard? and you know, that's a possibility. I mean, my thought on this is that it's kind of like hockey where, um, you know, there are five players on the ice at all times, and they all affect each other. So if your defenseman isn't getting the puck up to your winger, maybe your winger looks worse if he's not getting a perfect pass. That's what he Fusco's needs. Granlin? I think, <laughs> I think that, uh, no, let's not get you started on the wild. Um, but I, I, I think in this case, maybe there's some of – I saw a stat the other day that T.J. Clemmings had more help, and this would go for whoever's playing right tackle. Andre Smith was just as bad. That he had more help than anyone else in the league, meaning a tight end, a running back, or the guard coming over to help. And I think if you're in that position and you you just know the guy next to you is completely incompetent, that it creates a lot of problems. And, And that would be my only guess, because I think in terms of talent, he can play, but... There have been plenty of times where you look at him getting beat or something like that where maybe there was a thought of, okay, I've got to get over here to check on this first and then find That's work. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And, and then he's gotten beat when he's trying to recover and, and things like that. So those are the things that we would have to know exactly, the blocking scheme, I think, to really truly understand. Do you guys think that there is a chance, or, or how much damage do you think has been done in the last two games with what Philly and Chicago put on tape? How much do you think now the Vikings can go back and reverse that? Because there's Houston definitely, and the Giants gave you a little bit of the blueprint, not the whole thing, but I would say the last two weeks the blueprint has been diagrammed. How much can they now go put uh, here at the Genie back in the bottle as far as, as changing things up enough to where teams, starting with Detroit, don't just simply say, okay, here's what we do? Well, I think 
Sam Bradford alluded to it a little bit Monday night when he talked about how much more zone coverage they've gotten in the last couple of weeks, and, and you can do more of that when you don't have to bring as many guys after the quarterback, and I think that's been a lot of it. He said against Houston we saw a ton of man and we were able to exploit it, especially when you are a guy like Sam Bradford that seems to like to throw to his first read and get the ball out quickly. You want to see man coverage because it's easy to diagnose and it's easy to kind of predict what you do against it. Zone takes a little bit longer to do that, so – if they can get to a point where teams have to bring more pressure after them, that would help. But how you do that, that probably means being more effective, being able to throw the ball underneath and get people to, to come up and, and try to blitz and, and uh, affect things quickly. Yeah, I mean, it is going to take a little bit of time before that blueprint gets erased, I think. I think the Eagles put on a defensive masterpiece against this team. I think Jim Schwartz was brilliant. He threw everything that he could think of at them. There were safety blitzes. There were zone blitzes. Fletcher Cox is dropping back in coverage. I mean, it was everything. The Chicago Bears didn't do anything. No. I mean, they played. They just played they like three a, times. Just a regular like man coverage or zone coverage. And That's like a Tampa 2, right? For, yes. Yeah. Just, yeah it looks like a Lovey Smith game. Sending some four, ways. and it was basically old school. There was nothing to it other than these guys are going to beat your guys and have fun with that. Yeah. And that was all there was to it. So if there's any blueprint, it might be ha- still having to go back to that Eagles game because Chicago decided – you know what, we're not going to do that. We're just going to let our front four beat theirs. We uh, we probably should wrap this up here. Vikings practice is, I think, nearly concluded. We'll probably get the the, the uh, call to go back over and, and talk to players a little bit more here in a minute. And we have uh, kept you, dear listeners, for quite a while. So I, I do want to close this off as we typically do in the middle of the week and, and get predictions for the game on Sunday. Guys, what do you think when the Lions come to town did the Vikings get back on track, or are we talking about a third straight loss? And uh, if you would kindly attach a score to your prediction, uh, our gambling audience would certainly be much obliged. I am going to say that, yes, the Pat Shermer offense gets off to a great start, but uh, Detroit puts up some points with those shorter and, and screen passes. They break off a few plays. So I'm going more of like a like a 27-24 score in, in favor of the Vikings. Nothing like a coaching change, right? And, and, and the new hitting coach thing for football, right, because you always used to fire your hitting coach, yep. is your OC. I believe Norv is number four to go down. Yep. I am going to say that these guys come out incredibly inspired, and the most inspired part of this team will be a defense that's not pleased with its performance from the Chicago game. Yep. They will score at least a touchdown, if not more, and thus the Vikings will win 27-10. to 10. Yeah, I've got the Vikings winning this one, too. I had predicted 21-17 to 17 when I think I had to make a prediction earlier in the week. I think they'll score a few more points than that now. I think they'll they'll find something that works a little bit better for them on offense. I'll keep 17. I'll say they, get, they win at 24-17. They get back on track, and then they head to Washington for a, a game that's probably lost a little bit of luster, but what could be a, a tough road matchup there. This defense is going to be ticked off. Yep, I, I agree. guarantee you. I mean, twenty points against twenty points is not terrible. Twenty given points the against opponent, the Bears. Yeah, exactly. Given the opponent and what they gave up, Zimmer's going to spend this whole week riding those guys. I think they play really, really well, and they'll force Detroit into some mistakes. Well, we will see Sunday afternoon whether we were right, whether we were wrong, whether Pat Shermer's promotion i guess you He'll could call ascend it that. To heaven. He'll ascend right uh, through us whether pat shermer's ascension has helped this offense rise from the depths or whether it, the vikings are heading into a three-game losing streak before they go to the nation's capital next week we will be back with another edition of the purple podcast following vikings lions on sunday my thanks to matthew collar and judd zolgad for his special week midweek appearance i'm ben gessling from espn thanks for listening we will talk to you soon